KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show on the 17th of January, although it doesn't feel like it. Bob, good morning. Well, good morning, Dave. Yeah, with some pretty mild temperatures for January, it's melting going on out there in some places. Yeah, it's okay with me. We could melt a few of those banks, there's no banks down, couldn't we, Dave? There you go. That's a good yes. idea. Well, it won't last. We know that. Uh, it can get cold in January, too, so enjoy it, I guess, while it lasts. Well, we will. We'll do that. We'll clean up a little bit, and, you know... Uh, I did hear you. we've got a winter driving advisory warning out there, do we? Yeah, there's still some light snow, especially over the hill, and uh, some light freezing drizzle possible yet, and uh, it's just kind of nasty, slushy streets for the most part if they haven't been treated, but it could be slippery, so be careful. Yeah, I think that's that's word. We've had some pretty slippery conditions over the last couple of nights. I know I was out and uh, had about a 20-mile drive on black. That's an interesting experience. Oh, I bet. But if you slow things down, you're okay. Yeah. People ask me where their uh, car's in the ditch, and, you know, the snowbanks are so high, they never made it to the ditch. They just <laughs> made it to the snowbanks. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but anyway, it's great this time of year. We can look forward. Days are getting a little longer, but mm-hmm. it, it takes a little while. But nonetheless, uh, light is the key to this, and there's always uh, there's hope for the future, and spring is definitely coming. You know, we have this wonderful opportunity in January to work our way through some of the seed catalogs and uh, a lot of interesting things again. You know, I know this uh, hobby called gardening is going to continue to be larger and larger because uh, the seed catalogs are out there, and they're not diminishing in size or color, and I know they must be very expensive to print and mail, and yet I just have a, a desk full of them right at this particular time and lots of interesting things to look at. You know, Dave, uh, we're really fortunate because... Uh, you know, we've got so many seed producers. Now, people get a little worried because uh, the, the, there are, as with all industries, there are this major kind of uh, conglomeration or group of uh, dominant seed producers in the world now. There are probably five or six, but the thing that's kind of fun about vegetable seeds is that we, we've got a lot of these... Um, smaller producers out there that are doing some very interesting work so people get worried about the industry being consumed by these very large mega producers and you know they're very efficient they've got big breeding programs they've got them north uh, hemisphere southern hemisphere so if you have a crop failure in the northern hemisphere they can switch down to the south and we we always have a consistent supply they're always going to be there they do supply a lot of seed but We've got these, uh, they call them little boat, boutique breeders out there, university systems, uh, small private breeders. We even have a seed producer in St. Louis County doing a lot of work with the heirloom seed in a very remote part of our county up near Cook, not too far from the uh, Canadian border. And they're one of these little boutique uh, producers uh, called Seed Treasures, kind of an interesting group out there. So that gives me hope for the future. And the interest, real interesting thing, a lot of the real innovation does come from these uh, smaller producers. So lots of seed out there, lots to take a look at. We like to take a look at some. Uh, uh, we just have limited trial space available. But nonetheless, when things really stand out and look attractive to us, we like to put those in trial. So every year we do produce a vegetable variety list, which we've got our uh, 2023, I guess, is uh, being printed as we speak. So it won't be too long, and we'll have that available. And uh, we do try to take a look at some and try to update people for uh, for northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. Yeah, you are the guinea pig for the rest of us growers, Bob. You know, If it works for you, then we can try it at some point. Well, we we like to take a look. It's, it's real <laughs> interesting because... Uh, 
you open the catalogs and everything looks great, of mm-hmm. course. And uh, we've had a few situations. I've got good working relationships with uh, many of these. These are the smaller producers, smaller but very significant. Um, and, you know, sometimes they'll make some catalog claims and we'll put them in trial and I'll say, well, gee, our trial results didn't produce the same results. And uh, oftentimes they, they change their claims in the catalog, even based on what we're doing uh, here in North Minnesota. So it's kind of kind of fun to take a little look at some of these things. Uh, you know, Dave, we've got this um, this real fascinating and, and great nonprofit called the All-American Selections uh, Committee. And uh, this is a group that's been around for a long, long time, uh, since in the early 30s, I know, 1930s where they uh, they really take a look at a lot of the newer varieties that are being introduced. They've got both what they call trial gardens as well as display gardens. And uh, in Minnesota, at least, we've got um, the several of the display gardens. So the trial gardens are really run by the professionals. Uh, this is at the major breeding companies or smaller companies and uh, major universities, publicly funded universities that are doing breeding work. So they've got these actual trials, and they evaluate these varieties. Uh, the evaluation is done by professional horticulturists. So they've got, um, and they've got a committee that goes through a selection process. So every year they get an All-American selections, and there have been literally uh, hundreds over the years. And every year we've got 11 new ones this year that have come along. And uh, these are introduced to the public and uh, they're put in what's called display gardens so that's the next tier down where they they're oftentimes managed by uh, professional horticultural organizations but uh, they don't do a lot of the evaluation process all the data that goes into that and the evaluation uh, with a committee and so forth instead they they take the existing uh, all-american winners and they put them out on display and uh, in Minnesota, the Landscape Arboretum down just west of the, the Minneapolis there in uh, Chanhassen is, is a major display garden. There are a couple in St. Paul as well. Uh, but we've got in, in, in the Wisconsin system a couple in Madison, as you would imagine, but also in Spooner. Now there's an agricultural station in Spooner, not too far uh, from where we uh, are speaking to you right now. And uh, that's an ag experiment station, University of Wisconsin. Actually, I believe it was one of their very first ag experiment stations, and they actually have a nice display garden down there. So if people get a chance, um, these are gardens that are open to the public, and that's probably right now our closest display garden if you want to take a look at some of the all-American selections that are out there. So um, plenty, plenty to pick from. It's, It's kind of interesting. They've got these different categories, and then when the breeders um, have a selection that is uh, nominated or it's selected as an All-American winner, uh, then they have the exclusive rights if they develop the seed to sell that to the public under their own name and business for a number of years. I'm not sure how long it is, but if it does have this designation, they ultimately have to open that seed up to other vendors. So it's it's kind of interesting because the price of seed and some of the real exclusive seed is definitely not going down. I've been a little bit uh, surprised by uh, the pricing of some of the seed, uh, but seed is going to be the the least important, really, part of your expense. When you take a look, we take a look at a vegetable garden. Uh, you've got so many other inputs, including your labor. And then the nice thing about vegetables, it produces this product at the end that will certainly cover your cost of seed. But nonetheless, uh, seed costs are up, 
and particularly on the real exclusive stuff that I find myself because these varieties are so good and there's so much work that goes into producing them, they, they command a, a better price. But if they get the All-American selection after so many years, it's kind of like the patent expires and they open it up and then there are several other vendors who will typically vend the same seed and then prices do tend to moderate just a little bit. So I think uh, seed cost is something that uh, we all want to bear in mind, but nonetheless... When you consider what you get from high-quality hybrid seed, and it's not always necessarily just hybrids, but so much of the real great work is being done with, with crosses out there, and uh, this hybridization process, uh, whether it be higher quality, whether it be uh, disease resistance, that's one of the great big issues going on right now. If we can get some natural resistance, we don't have to use pesticides and other me- measures for control of so many of the diseases that can be an issue. So uh, this is what we get from some of the hybridization process. You know, I'll point out on the All-American selection process, they have a couple of uh, very, very distinguished awards, something called the Gold Medal Award. And this is when there's a major breakthrough that occurs. Uh, Most of these other uh, annual awards are uh, kind of incremental improvements. They're a little bit better than what there was in the past, but every once in a while you get a breakthrough. And that gets the gold award. They own, maybe there's only one or two in a decade that they have, that they uh, give out. But I'll I'll give you one example. The Sugar Snap Pea got the all uh, several years ago now, but that got one of the gold awards. And uh, this was a major break. This was the edible potted pea. And of course, we had uh, uh, shell peas before that with a very tough uh, shell that had to be taken off, and then. It was a mutation that occurred, came out of Idaho, where suddenly there was thick, fleshed pea, but it didn't have real sweet characteristics, so they back-crossed it with some of the sweeter peas, and all of a sudden we've got, we got this variety called Sugar Snap, which had kind of revolutionized edible peas. You had that nice, flick, thick flesh that was edible and sweet. That was the first one, Sugar Snap. Now we've got so many more, and among my favorites, I like that are just a little bit smaller. The only thing about sugar snap is you're going to have to run it up on some kind of a trellis because it grows uh, to a very large height, but it is tremendously productive. Still a very, very good pea. If you're willing to uh, string it up, it's going to be probably your most productive pea. But for most of us that aren't going to put a lot of trellising up, um, we've got shorter varieties that are uh, kind of resulted from that original gold medal winner, and Cascadia is one, Sugar Bone, Sugar, and are three of my favorites that are a little bit shorter. They'll go 12 to 18 inches in height. You don't have to stake them. You can just plant them and let them run and harvest them. Not quite as productive as Sugar Snap, but nonetheless, uh, less work. You don't have to trellis them. So, but that was one example. Ruby Ball uh, a cabbage, a beautiful red cabbage, was also very unique, kind of a breakthrough variety. You know, we've got a lot of cabbage varieties out there, but Ruby Paul was one of the originals. So we've got uh, a real interesting process going on, and maybe after the break we can take a look at uh, and talk a little bit about the 2023 introductions and what we're going to be taking a little look at. All right, sounds good. Bob, we'll take our first break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. We are back. The Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. Another mild January day. Uh, Kenny Callagher noticed uh, that we have yet to have a below zero day in January, which is pretty amazing. Spring can't be that far away, right? Can be. We must have had all those below zero days in December, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> I'm sure we'll get our share before winter's over, but nice to uh, see the 30s here for a while. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem like people are complaining much at all. No. It makes life uh, a lot more enjoyable. It helps a little bit with the fuel bills as well. So that's all good, Dave. Huh? Well, Bob, you got some suggestions for our gardens here this uh, summer. Well, we have all kinds of suggestions. I thought I would take a look at the 2023 All-American selections. And, you know, we we like to take a look at these, and I will caution people. In this first year, sometimes it's a little difficult to find the seeds. So you say, boy, I really want to try that, and you might have to wait another year. It takes them a while. You know, you've got breeders that are crossing material, evaluating material, and then you've got to get it produced in quantity, and that oftentimes can become a challenge. So it's, there's oftentimes a little bit of a lag and a little bit of a delay. And we look, when we look at the All-American selections, you know, we've got, it's not just about vegetables, which, pardon me, but I'm, uh, I, li- I guess I like to eat, so I love flowers as well and grow them out as well, but I, uh, I'm a little bit partial to some of the vegetable production. But nonetheless, um, the All-American selection process does look at uh, so many of the beautiful flowers. I'll mention we were talking a little bit about these gold award winners. And uh, sugar snappy, these are breakthrough uh, vegetables. Let's face it, they haven't been on the face of the earth before, so they're things that oftentimes are mutation. I'll throw another one out there. It's not an all-American winter, but we've got a lot of uh, yellow and colored cauliflower right now. That cauliflower was always white before, and these are some mutations. The, the uh, uh, clementine, which is one of the uh, the yellow varieties of uh, cauliflower that's been very, very successful uh, mutation up in Canada that uh, someone just found. And all of a sudden, it has a nice uh, golden color to it, and then brought that back down into uh, a breeder at Cornell, and he went to work and developed it uh, further. So we have some new varieties that are coming along that are really very, very intriguing, and some of it's very deliberate. In other words, uh, We've got breeding programs at major universities, breeding programs at these seed companies. But then every once in a while, we just get a gift from the heavens, and we get a mutation that comes along and uh, and, and just jumps out. And sometimes, very interesting, it is the uh, the small hobby, hobby gardener that find, finds these things, and then they eventually work their way into the trade. That does take a little bit of time. As I mentioned, it takes a while till you got seed that you can, in fact, plant. When we look at the All-American Selection, I mentioned that they look at flowers from seed, they look at flowers from cutting, they look at herbaceous perennials, and they look at the vegetables uh, from seed, and that's where most of our vegetable production is being produced anyway, and they look at at fruit as well. So it's kind of a very broad, broad category, and I'm sure there are literally hundreds of new varieties that are being evaluated each year. But this is kind of targeted, All-American Selection, kind of targeted for the home gardener, and actually it's uh, it provides a nice incentive for these breeders to get out and find something that's really, really new and spectacular and uh, uh, very appreciative for some of the work that's, that's done in some of the newer varieties, particularly for us uh, this far north. You know, we're a small part of this whole big picture, and we've got a shorter season, obviously, lots of sunlight, so we're not... We can still produce tremendous crops up here, but uh, nonetheless, we're we're a rather small part of the picture, and and some of these varieties just work out real nicely for us. I was going to mention on the flower side uh, to give you an idea what a gold award winner looks like. We had uh, some zinnias. Most people are familiar with zinnias. They're great, uh, easy to grow from seed. They're great for the kids and so forth, but it was usually a single bloom. Well, there's this uh, series of of, uh, zinnias called Profile. Fusion, which are just very, very prolific, multi-floral, and this was a major breakthrough from a single stem to this proliferation of just beautiful, and there have been several additional colors that have been added to that series. So 
Uh, these are things, uh, and there's so much beautiful work being done out there that adds uh, certainly so much to our landscape. So whether it be flowers from seed, flowers from cutting, vegetables from seed, the All-American folks uh, take a look at uh, all of these things. And as I mentioned, uh, Display Garden down in Spooner, I think for a lot of our listeners, are very close to that. And uh, that might be uh, a nice day trip on there just, just to take a look at what they they have on display. Bob, let's head to the phones real quick. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Don. Go Maybe ahead, Don. I missed, but Bob, what's your pick for veggie of the year? <laughs> the what's my veggie of the year? <laughs> oh, what is it going to be? Oh, and I should know that. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a community garden program, and I'm going to have to take a look. I'll take a look at that and see if, right. if they've got it publicized. Uh, mine, I'm, of course, uh, I'm always focused on probably the number one uh, crop out there. I'm looking at tomatoes, looking at new varieties, looking at uh, at other things. So what my vegetable of the year is and what other people's <laughs> is, I'll have to get that for you, Don, okay? Thank you, sir. Yeah, Thank you, bet. you and thanks for, thanks calling. for listening. <laughs> what was the vegetable of the year last year? Was it the tomato then? Yeah, tomato, yeah. yeah. So we'll have to uh, take a little look and see what we got All going right. this year. Do we okay. get to vote, or is somebody just picked out at no, random? <laughs> it's really the, uh, this is something that the Duluth Garden uh, Community Garden ah. Program started a while ago, and they, they vote amongst their own membership. So, And there have been uh, just about every crop out there has been selected at one time or another because it's gone on for a number of years. Ah. And we kind of like to piggyback on and then try to, try to uh, uh, continue to encourage. But I should know that, and uh, I'll know that soon for sure. Well, you uh, did mention uh, we're up north a little further than the rest of the country, I guess. Uh, there are zones. Do we have to worry about that? Can we grow stuff well, now that we haven't been able to grow in the past, or what? Good, good question. Um, the, these are U.S. Department of Agriculture hardiness zones. So okay. they're in reference to perennial material, uh, specifically woody perennials, trees and shrubs, and just how hardy they're going to be coming through the winter. So it's just a measure of just the absolute average cold temperatures that you can expect. And it went from uh, 0 or 1, obviously, in the Arctic, down to 8 or 9 in the tropics. And we've always been in St. Louis County. We'll use it as an example. We had a lot of Zone 2 areas where the minimum temperatures were about 40 below, and uh, Zone 3 and Zone 4 along the lake. And Zone 4 has got minimum temperatures of about uh, 20 below. So these are just, uh, they're a guide for just how uh, cold-tolerant a lot of materials could be. Are they going to make it through the winter? So you take a look at apple as an example. I'll use Honeycrisp. Honeycrisp was introduced as a Zone 4 apple. Now we got a lot of Zone 3 and had some Zone 2. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the Zone 2 areas have pretty much uh, disappeared in in St. Louis County now, and we're just Zone 3 and Zone 4. So based on weather statistics, we're definitely warming up during the winter months, and this January may be an indication of that, Dave. But um, we're... Um, We've got, uh, we definitely have got um, a warming condition going. Uh, Honeycrisp was introduced as Zone 4, uh, can tolerate temperatures down to about 15, 20 below, but not too much colder. It was, it's been grown throughout St. Louis County in Zone 3 and tried in Zone 2, and uh, they struggle in the colder parts, and people wonder what happened to Honeycrisp. Everyone's such a great apple, everyone wants to grow it, but uh, it really isn't that hardy over time in zone three or even colder places so it's important to pay attention to, you know have a general idea what your zone is you get mm-hmm. over superior ways i think you're certainly zone four there you have a lot of uh, 
lake influence. Uh, we get up into uh, the Bayfield area where Zone 5 because of all of that uh, uh, water that surrounds the peninsula there, but nonetheless, uh, that's a very unique situation. Uh, we really don't even have any other Zone 5 areas in uh, in Minnesota. Most of them are um, maybe down along the southern border or along the river. They may have hit some of that, but most, even the Twin Cities, are Zone 4. So uh, very unique, but it's... it's uh, you probably want to, if you're selecting woody material, you're buying an apple or whatnot, be a little careful because, remember, uh, an apple tree, as an example, you, you want that to survive uh, the next 40 or 50 or 60 winters, and we might still have some real cold periods in there. So I always tell people, uh, you know, uh, make sure you've got something that's good and winter hardy on these woody perennials, trees and shrubs. That's going to be one of your characteristics that you're going to use in selection, and then you can go from there. And if you want to, we call it kind of cheat the zones. In other words, we'll use Honeycrisp as an example. You know your zone three, but you want to try Honeycrisp. And uh, then you want to look for protected locations and protected from the northwest wind. So uh, winter hardiness is really not just about absolute temperatures, uh, but uh, wind, prevailing winds, relatively, these things all affect the survivability of a lot of these plants. And that snowfall, you know, we talked about the fact we got snowfall early. That's going to be extremely protective, and we've got a blanket of 30, 40 inches out there. So I would suspect with these warmer conditions that um, this is going to be a pretty easy uh, winter on a lot of plant material. And um, but, but we never know. Uh, we're early in the winter, as you said, Dave, and we never know how it may change. One thing that can be, these temperatures are pretty good that we've got in the uh, upper 20s, lower 30s. But if we got the real thaw up 35, 40, and we started to break buds, and then it got Ooh. cold again, that can be what's really devastating. So, so far we're good that way, good snow cover, good protection, and not extreme cold temperatures, not extreme cold winds. Uh, but uh, it could change. The winter is still early. But that's what the zones are really all about. Uh, when we take, take a look at annuals, whether they be annuals for flowers, annuals for vegetables, fruit, uh, it's got nothing to do with winter hardiness because obviously we're going to be planting these after the threat of frost is gone. So that's more about the days to maturity and uh, have we got uh, a long enough growing season to really successfully ripen a lot of these uh, these crops, Dave. Gotcha. And so the zones are long-term averages, too, and I'm, I'm sure there's a, a years when that doesn't apply. Well, <laughs> or we get a very cold winter, or maybe even a very warm winter. But You're absolutely right, and I used Honeycrisp as an example. Yeah. A lot of people planted it in Zone 3. They were very happy with it for, Uh-oh. you know, eight or nine years, and then all of a sudden we had an open winter that took a lot of them out, not yeah, in Zone exactly. 4, but it did take them out in Zone 3. And when they introduce these plants, they actually do freezer studies to determine just how hardy they really are. And that's why Honeycrisp was never introduced, never intended for Zone 2, Zone 3, although in a protected location, you can grow it there. And this was my own personal example. I'm, I'm Zone 3. I was very happy with Honeycrisp, but it was productive for me. And then we had an open winter, and it just really damaged the tree so severely, I finally had to take it down. So. Wow. I would say uh, try some of these things, but uh, uh, select the really good hardy stuff. If you're investing in an apple or any kind of a deciduous tree, you've got a major investment. Anything with any size or caliber uh, is going to be expensive now and uh, takes a long time to grow out. So start with something that you know is going to be here for the next 30 or 40 years, Steve. Otherwise, you got to be willing to take a risk, I guess. 
got to be willing to take a risk, <laughs> and I don't fault, fault people for that at all. Try to try to minimize the risk by finding a protected location. Thanks, Bob. We'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL 942. All right, Bob, question of the day. Is that Christmas tree still going strong indoors? <laughs> it is, but ah. I think it's not his last leg. <laughs> <laughs> well, the birds would be happy to hear that because then it goes outside with popcorn and they'll be uh, feasting. That's right. I yeah. think we, we really had good use out of it this year for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I did do a quick little check for our caller there about the Vegetable of the Year to a community garden yep. program. It is collard greens. Collard greens. How about that? Yes. Now, the interesting thing is I think they're going to broadly define that in terms of the leafy greens, not just the collards specifically. Yep. But that's kind of a large category that will include uh, some of the lettuces, the romaines. It will include, I think, Swiss chard and Swinage spinach. And these are all... Uh, crops extremely nutritious, not particularly difficult to grow. So that's um, that's good for us in this area with a few little caveats. I look at spinach, and we all love uh, fresh spinach in uh, salads. Is, you know, there was the longest yeah. time there where it was just cooked down, steamed, and you had this this mass of green stuff that a lot of people didn't like. <laughs> but uh, now they're eating a lot spinach of spinach in uh, a can. That's what I remember. It. That was that's pretty right. nasty. Yeah. We all do, but. Uh, <laughs> We've come away since then, and a lot of these greens are being uh, eaten fresh in salads. Ah. And uh, there's nothing like it. And that's one of the first crops we actually like to put in the ground is um, some of the spinach because we get a nice leafy green early in the season. It doesn't like the heat of summer. And you wouldn't think of it, but here at the Loose Superior area, we actually can have some hot summer days. And uh, uh, spinach tends to bolt very quickly to seed, and the quality goes to pieces. But if you can go from spinach in your garden to... Uh, say Swiss chard. I think that uh, that's a great alternative. Lots of wonderful Swiss chard out there that can be used in salads, but also uh, cooked or steamed as greens. And then you can, of course, uh, grow lettuce again. It has a little trouble with the real heat, although some of the uh, better varieties are heat tolerant. But lettuce is also quite frost tolerant coming into the fall. So if you plan a little bit, uh, you can have some nice fresh greens for your salad uh, through much of the growing season here, Dave. So I think uh, collard greens initially you say, well, boy, that's a, a southern crop. No, I think they're going to define it as uh, just greens in, in general, and, right. and that should be kind of a good choice. And we'll have some fun. Very nutritious. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, interest about better nutrition uh, in our diets right now, Dave. Well, as vegetable of the year, what, what does that entail then? Well, I think it's just a, a designation. They try to encourage uh, people to, to grow that oh, okay. out, and uh, it, I don't think it's too much more than that, although they have a harvest uh, meal at the end of the year where they uh-huh. try to feature that. And we'll see. Maybe we um, oftentimes we do a fall educational program uh, around recipes and preparation that does feature some of the vegetable of the year. So maybe we'll take a look at greens again this year and see what we can do there, Dave. All right, we're at 947. We'll be back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. Well, as you're looking through those seed catalogs, uh, Bob, do we need to order those pretty quick? What's, what's the usual turnaround time, I guess, for ordering seeds? Well, the industry got caught by surprise <laughs> with the, uh, the COVID pandemic there, Uh-oh. and there was a real shortage, and some of them actually uh, didn't have the seed. They, they couldn't keep up with the orders. I know several, that one that shut down for about uh, seven or eight days, they wouldn't take new orders, and they put their whole crew just on trying to fill orders. But, uh, you know, we adjust pretty well where the, there's a the demand, and, and um, uh, you know, the supply oftentimes, uh, that's going to be perhaps one of the issues coming up. I think uh, 
a little bit of that excitement from the stay-at-home era has gone away, So, I, I, but the demand is still there. A lot of gardeners tried it for the first time, and there's a percentage that's going to just say, boy, that's a lot of effort and a lot of work for what I got out at the other end, and they don't try <laughs> it again. But there are a lot of folks, that uh, a percentage, that, that hung in there, and this is what uh, has resulted in the increase. So I would expect demand, again, to be very significant this year. There are a few seed shortages out there. We had uh, very hot weather out of Idaho. You know, the seed is produced on a global basis right now, uh, but one of the major seed production areas, particularly for crops like sweet corn, is in the Idaho area where it's hot and dry and irrigated. Uh, This leads to uh, fairly good seed production. So they've got the water, but uh, they had very intense heats, and they didn't get the yield. They got yield, but not quite what they'd hoped for. So there will be some shortages I know some of the retailers are on a lot, what we call allotment, where they're only getting a percentage of what they'd really like. So I think it probably, and I haven't got all my seed orders in yet either, but for those of you that are serious about certain varieties, uh, I think that um, it wouldn't hurt to order early this year so you're sure you have what you have, what you really want. There are, however, um, it, it amazes me because... Uh, we are so fortunate. We have so many retailers out there, and I think on our recommend list we must have 25, and that's just a, these are the, the smaller retailers that the homeowner can access uh, with catalogs or, or on the web. Uh, but there are so many different suppliers, and if one says, um, I had a crop failure in their catalog, I just keep shopping around because um, there are certain varieties that you may really want just to make the effort, and uh, oftentimes... Uh, we never have a complete failure. The thing that's amazing about globalization and these multinational companies, if they really have a crop failure, seed was produced last year, so if they know they're going to have a crop failure in North America, they can immediately shift to some of their production areas in South America where the, our winters are summer, so right now they're growing out some seed that will be shipped north again just in time for our harvesting. So this thing of um, you know the, the bounty that we have, uh, and the availability um, doesn't just happen, but it, it does. Um, there are some very committed and dedicated uh, businesses out there that make sure that we have a supply. So this steady food supply that we have isn't magic. It's a lot of people working hard at all different levels and dealing with the weather and other things. Uh, disease can often be a major issue as well. We certainly, certainly have seen that in the the chicken laying flock and the price of eggs. Oh, uh, you, boy. Yeah, that's a real shocker <laughs> right there. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've come to take for granted that all of these things just come out of a factory somewhere, and they don't. There's uh, biological animals or plants, and and they really, uh, you can have a number of production issues that come along. But uh, the industry is really quite responsive, so we're going to have plenty of seed out there. And surprisingly, even don't worry if you think you're still too late, there's always going to be something right up to planting time. But if you really want to be sure that you've got specific varieties, I think it really would be a good idea to, uh, to order early because I know some of those home vegetable varieties are in short supply right now as well, Dave. If you're happy with what you grew last year, do many people hang on or get seeds from their own crops or no? Well, you know, you can save you can save your own seed from what we call open-pollinated seed hybrids oh. because they came from crosses you really have ah. to either buy new seed or save what you didn't plant last year and then my advice would be because again seed is just a small portion and you really 
in most cases have one opportunity to plant in the early part of the year and if you it may take two three weeks before you realize that your germination was very poor on that seed that you saved and then you're hustling to try to capture the season and find some fresh seed and so forth so i think uh you certainly can save seed from previous years, but you have to be very careful. Uh, water and high humidity is the enemy, so you want to store dry and cool. And then some seeds certainly last for and be viable, a high percentage for three, four, five years, but you have to store it carefully under cool, dry conditions to be sure of that. So in many cases, um, if, even if you are going to save seed, it probably is a good idea to also get some new fresh seed in just so that you don't get uh, get skunked or get a smaller percentage of germination than what you really counted on, Dave. All right. Your indoor plants are doing okay, I would assume? House plants, yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, they're, and I'm just now beginning to see indications of some new growth. So we, we must have uh, days getting just a little bit longer, yeah. and we will have some fun with that uh, maybe a little later. We'll talk uh, and share with you some ideas of how you can propagate some of your own, all free of charge, just nice, uh, a nice way to take some cuttings and, and get things started and then just spread the joy by giving these daughter plants to, to people who are always very, very appreciative, Dave. All right, so everybody better get ready to grow their uh, uh, green, green. what is it, the vegetable well, here? It's, it's collard, collard greens. You know, yeah. Collards are really uh, a southern, <laughs> uh, southern crop kind yeah. of a, a big leafy uh, green, but, uh, you know, sometimes broadly defined, uh, they're probably going to be looking at the other greens as well. <laughs> I, cer- I certainly hope so, because right. there are so many wonderful greens. And the collards, we should try and give her a go, but it's kind of a specialized southern crop. So I think they're defining that as it's, uh, basically the greens that are going to be out there. But that'll be fun. There's lots of opportunities, lots of different ways to grow them, and all very, very nutritious. These deep greens give us the vitamin A that you need, as well as so many of these other uh, phytonutrients that are important to a, a good quality diet, Dave. All right, Bob, if anybody has any questions, Bob will be back again next week. Same time, same channel, as they say, right here on KDAL at 9 o'clock. That's during the Tuesday, every Tuesday. Bob, we'll look forward to seeing you then. Yes, thank you, Dave. We'll update people on, again, some of the uh, All-American selections that we're going to be trying this year, just so people are aware of what's out there, Dave. Sounds good. Thank you, Bob. Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feed Bin in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.